turn in your Bibles to the 13th chapter, the book of 1 Corinthians, as we continue our study through the Word. So Paul, beginning back in chapter 12 now, begins to speak to them about spiritual things, about the Holy Spirit and the manifestation of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And, and that continues in chapters 12, 13, and 14. Last time, you will remember, we looked at the different administrations of the Spirit and the various different gifts of the Spirit. You'll remember that Paul asks, are all apostles, are all prophets, are, uh, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? And, and once again, God is the one that gives the gifts individually as he sees fit. You'll remember that they were seeking to compare and contrast with one another. What spiritual gift do you you have what spiritual gift do I have which is the better spiritual gift and so they're once again they're comparing but Paul is saying that the purpose of the gift is for the edification of the body next not for the exaltation of the individual person that receives that gift or has that gift and so you remember that he ends the 12th chapter with earnestly desire the best gift now which is the best gift which is the, the best uh, gift? Well, think about it as a toolbox. If you have a toolbox and you have a saw and you have a hammer and you have a screwdriver, which, which is the best tool in your toolbox? Well, it depends on what you want to do. If you want to saw a board in two, then a screwdriver is not going to be very helpful for you. In that situation, a saw is going to be helpful. If you're trying to drive a nail into the wall, then a saw isn't what you need. You need a, a hammer. And so the same thing with the spiritual gift. The diversity of the spiritual gifts are given, but they are to be used according to the situation. And so the best gift is going to be dictated by that situation. Paul now is going to kind of put the gifts into perspective, though, and he is going to talk about the overarching issue of love. And so here we see that this chapter has been, you know, spoken of from a literary viewpoint. It's been called the greatest passage that Paul has ever penned. It has been called the hymn of love. It has been called the lyrical interpretation of the, the Sermon on the Mount. It has been said that it is the Beatitudes as set to music. But when I look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what I see in this chapter is the most intimate, beautiful portrait of Jesus Christ that we have in the entire scriptures. And so as we are going to see Paul kind of talk through the gifts, he's going to point us ultimately to our North Star. And our North Star in our life is love. And ultimately, God is is love. And so that's his DNA. That's what he is made up of. But what does love look like? It's so confusing in our world today where people will use the same word love in our English language. It is so narrow, our English language. We will use that word love in such a variety of, uh, of meanings. I love to go for a walk. I love ice cream. I love my wife, but there's a big difference between ice cream and my wife. And yet we see that it's the same word that we use in those situations and circumstances. So how do we really know what 
what love is. Paul is going to take it and now break it down for us. He's going to take love, if you will, and kind of like when you take light and shine it through a prism, it will refract it into the various different colors. He's going to take love and refract it now through the Holy Spirit so that we can see the various different elements of it and the various different facets of it. And in that, we will see a, a closer communion and connection and description of Jesus Christ. He begins here in this first verse of the 13th chapter, and it says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Paul begins by talking about the ability to communicate. Now, you'll remember in the last chapter how he was talking about the gift of tongues and how God will give in this gift a language that you don't know what you're saying, that you've never even studied, and your ability to communicate with them. And then the, the interpretation of tongues. And so this communication he kind of starts off this 13th chapter. He says, now, if you can communicate, he says, if, if you were able to speak multiple different languages. I always admire people that can speak different languages, and sometimes you find people that can speak three, four, five, six, seven, eight different languages. Here, Paul begins by using hyperbole. We're going to see him use hyperbole a lot in this chapter. Hyperbole is an exaggeration for emphasis. It's to take it all the way out to the extreme, to now draw a comparison to that extreme, to, to drive home the point. So he's talking about the ability to communicate, not just in one language or five languages or eight languages. Imagine... Imagine if you could speak every single dialect on the face of the earth. If you could do that, you'd have to change your name to Google. <laughs> that, that would be your new uh, name now. The ability to, to communicate with, uh, with every single person on the face of the planet. He says, if you were able to communicate to every single person on the face of the earth, but the message wasn't love, then you've wasted that gift. Then you have wasted that ability to be able to communicate. But he doesn't just leave it there. That, that's the ability to communicate with other people. He takes it all the way to communication, period. If you could communicate with the heavenlies, the angels, with, with all who, who, who speak in any language, any tongue whatsoever, he says, and if you had that ability to communicate, but you didn't love then what you're saying is just sounds. It's just noise. It's just a, a banging cymbal, a sounding brass. He says in verse 2 now, he goes on and says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So Paul, once again, comes back to that word love. If I don't have love. Now, love, interesting, because in the Greek language, there is a multitude of words for love. In our English language, as we just referenced, there's really only one word. But man is a triune being. God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And he made us in his image and likeness. And so you are a triune being. You are body, soul, and spirit. And so in the Greek language, there are three different words for love, speaking about the three different parts of your trinity. And so there is the physical part, the physical connection. And so that word is eros. It's where we get our word erotic. It refers to sexual love, to a sexual intimacy. And so this is that more the physical level. But then there is the soul level. The soul level is the friendship level. That word is phileo. It is that, uh, that brotherly love. Now, the city Philadelphia is a combination of the word phileo and Delphi. Delphi means city. Phileo means brotherly love. So Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. And so phileo is that, that friendship. I have things in common with you. I like you, you get me, I get you. It's that friendship, that soul relationship. Of, that is phileo love. That is the soul connection. And then we have the, the spiritual love. That's the word agape. Agape speaks of that selfless, sacrificial love. It is the divine love. It is a giving love. It's God's love shed in our hearts. And so we see here that Paul references it here, says that if you have the ability to communicate with everybody, but you're not loving, you're just a, a sounding, clanging brass. But love we see is given to us in the book of Galatians. Paul describes what this agape love is. He says the fruit of the Spirit, of the operation of the Holy Spirit in our life. Remember that Paul's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit and, and how amazing the Holy Spirit is. That at your conversion, at my conversion, God placed his Holy Spirit inside each and every one of us. And that Spirit is at work in your heart and in your life. And so the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit's residence inside of you, that fruit that's going to come forth from your life is going to be joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. These are the, the attributes. These are the, the characteristics of what agape love looks like. Now, why is agape love so important? Because God is love. God is love. That's what he is made up of. So when you want to know who God is, who is God the Father? God the Father is love. And this is what love looks like. This is the description of what love's manifestation is for us to be able to experience it and to know it. You see, you were created by God to know and to experience his love, to know and be known, to love and to be loved. And so God created you individually, specifically, intimately, designed you, knitted you together, brought you forth and breathed the life into you so that you could engage him in a loving relationship. So no matter what you would accomplish in this world, no matter what you would know or what you might do, if you were never connected, if you never experienced that love of God, then you've missed the whole point of 
why God drew you forth and gave you breath. And so as we prioritize our time in our life, what are we going to accomplish? What are we seeking to get done? What mark are we seeking to leave here upon the earth? What is the point of this life? Jesus was asked that very question. Well, what's the greatest of all of the commandments? There's all in the word of God. I have all of the commandments, but what's the most important one? And you remember that Jesus, without batting an eye, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is loving God. It is this loving relationship with him. Listen, it's not about trying to behave and not sin with this God that's watching over you in, in heaven, waiting to, to punish you. It is a loving, gentle, merciful, kind God that cares about you, your every affliction, who watches over you as this protective father. And, and so here as we begin now to see this manifestation as Paul now describes what this agape love looks like. And so if you had all the ability to communicate with everybody, but you never loved, never experienced God's agape love, then you missed the point. You missed the point. Now he moves on to knowledge. So first, if I could communicate, what if I know everything? Well, what if I spend my life knowing the mysteries of the world, being able to unravel space and gravity and deep sea and every mystery that there is, not only upon this earth, but also in the scriptures. What if the revelations that were given in the, in the Bible now are opened to me and illuminated in an incredible way and I have all of this knowledge? And he's going to say, and if your life was pursuing knowledge... And even if you acquired all of it, but you didn't have love, then you wasted, you wasted your life in that pursuit. He says it this way, and though I have the gift of prophecy, that is knowing God's word and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, remember how we talked before about every Christian has faith, but then there's that gift of faith that ability to just believe in the impossible situations and, and circumstances where God gives you that supernatural ability. Here he says that even if you have got the fullness of this gift of faith, he says so much so in operation that, that you could remove mountains. He says, but you don't have love. You haven't accomplished anything. Now, remember that the Corinthians were carnal and they were constantly comparing themselves with each other to, uh, to try and be a better Christian, to have more status in the church than, uh, than others. And, and so here Paul is talking that while you're competing on these levels, guess what? The very act of competing is not loving. The very act of your competition with each other is the opposite of love. And so he says, even if you ascend to the top of the hill and you are crowned, if you don't have love, you're nothing. And then what about good deeds? So what if I can communicate with everybody? What if I have all knowledge? And what if I just do more good deeds than, than anybody else? I am champion good deed doer uh, of Calvary Chapel Green Valley right here. You know, we have a crown for you to, to set. What, what if you were able to achieve that? Paul writes it a different way. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, 
And though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me what? Nothing. So it's not about good deeds. It's not about your ability to communicate with others. It's not about how much you, you know. Th those aren't the ways that, that God looks uh, at our life. The loveless person here is who Paul has now described with, uh, with all of their accomplishments. It, it's the resume of the accomplished, loveless person. And, and, and this is now the, the summary. The loveless person produces nothing, is nothing, and gains nothing. And now he begins to, to press forwards, to describe out uh, for us what, what love looks like. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. And so we see that, that really here Paul is going to give us, you know, 15 different aspects or hues or, or facets of this agape love. And he begins first and foremost with the fact that love suffers long. In other words, it is long suffering. It means that it puts up and it puts up and it puts up. So oftentimes, you know, we will, you know, the three strikes, you, you offend me three times and that's it, you know, and, and you're out. And you remember that Peter, you know, went to the Lord. How often do I have to forgive my brother? Seven times. And, and that was the three times, times two plus one for good measure, you know, seven. But you remember what Jesus said. No, not seven, 70 times seven. It suffers long when you're mistreated. How many times before I say, that's, that's it, I'm done with you. You're not allowed to treat me like that or, or hurt me or be unkind to me. And, and, and so if I'm only going to love people that are kind towards me and I have my limit to where I will shut off or cut off love, that's a measured love. That's a phileo love. That's a friendship love. But agape love is a deeper love than that. It is a love that cannot be turned, that cannot be moved, cannot be undone once it is directed. And so, how about suffering? No, he says long suffering. It suffers long, and it's not long suffering and is then making you pay for it, you know? You hurt me, so I'm not talking to you for a week, and, you know, and that type of retribution. It, it suffers long and is kind. And the simultaneous aspects of being long-suffering and kind at the same time. Love does not envy. Envy is when something good happens to somebody else and, and you can't enter into the joy because you want what they have. You, you, they have good fortune. They got the raise. They have the house. They got married. They have the car. And, and inside, you're like, I want that car. I want to get married. Nothing ever good happens to me. And so it is that envy that you have towards others who are blessed in different ways than, than you are blessed. But love, love is not selfish and doesn't run through the prism of self. And so it is able to celebrate others' victories, others' accomplishments, others' blessings with a pure heart to be able to, to fully enter in without that residual in our own heart. Doesn't envy. 
It doesn't parade itself. Parade itself means to, uh, to, to parade around bragging. When you accomplish or blessings happen, you are not bragging. C.S. Lewis called bragging the utmost to evil. He said it's the epitome of pride, which is the root of sin of all sins. Bragging puts ourselves first. And it's impossible to build ourselves up without tearing others down. And so love doesn't envy, love doesn't brag, and love is not puffed up. It's not arrogant. You see, every good blessing that you have in your life came from God. God is the one that's given you every good blessing. And so there is no reason for us to think that we merited those blessings. That's the grace of God that gave you those blessings. And, and so being arrogant is that you believe those blessings are because you deserve them because you have earned them, because they're rewards for your stellar character or for your service to the Lord or for any of your misguided notions that God is the one that has given you to that because you are superior to others. Love is not arrogant. It's not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, verse 5. Does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. And so love does not behave rudely. We see here that this principle has to do with good manners, that love is polite. I remember when my boys were growing up, we used to always tell them that, that manners is a way of saying, I love you. Manners tells other people that you love them. Chewing with your mouth closed at the dinner table, saying please and thank you, opening the door for others. It's others-centered. It's looking at others. It's being considerate of others. Good manners is an active practice of being considerate of the other person, of, uh, of loving others. And so that politeness and kindness towards others. This is all part of what being others-centered, of what loving looks like. And so it doesn't behave rudely. It is not self-righteous. And so love does not seek its own. Not seeking its own. What does that mean? It means that it's not selfish. That selfishness is that lens through which we look through the world before we are saved. And so we see that it is the root evil of fallen human nature. It is wanting us to have our own way. I want my way, concerned with my own life, concerned with my needs. And everything becomes egocentric, self-centric. And so love is not selfish. It's the exact opposite. It's completely selfless. Love is not provoked. We see that love not being provoked means that it doesn't get angry. It means that even when people jab at you and, and light you up, that you don't respond with anger. It's not raising your voice and getting mad and then using that aggression to get your own way in the argument or the fight or the circumstance or, or situation. It's never going to use force and that rising up of your flesh to try and get what you want because somebody has hurt you or offended you or because you are just fighting for your own needs. 
That's not love. Love is not provoked in that way. And love thinks no evil. Thinks no evil is a bookkeeping term. In other words, it means that it doesn't record the wrongdoings of, of others. And then let you know, remember three years ago when you said that to me? I still remember. <laughs> it doesn't record those. It's, it doesn't put it into the ledgers. And, and that's an attribute of God. When God forgives us our sins, it says as far as the east is from the west, that he puts them never to be remembered anymore. And so they are washed away. And so when people offend us, we are not to keep a record of their wrongdoings. That's not love. That's selfishness. That's trying to protect yourself and defend yourself and ammo yourself up to let that person have it so that you can have your way that you want with that individual. And so it doesn't collect ammunition. It just lets it go. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. And so here we see a contrast <clears throat> in rejoicing. The rejoicing in iniquity, which it does not do. Rejoicing in iniquity is to justify evil. It's to make wrong appear to be uh, right. Isaiah says, woe to those who call evil good and good and evil. And so turning of God's truth upside down, love doesn't rejoice in that. It rejoices in the truth. So, verse 7, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And, and so, uh, here again, we see that Paul is now talking in hyperbole when he says, you know, all things. But, but the bearing nature of love. Love bears all things by protecting others from exposure when they fail. Protecting them from ridicule or from harm. Genuine love doesn't listen to gossip and doesn't gossip. Even when a sin is certain in a person's life, love tries to correct it with the least possible hurt or harm to the guilty person. Love never protects sin. Let me say that again. Love never protects sin, but is always anxious to protect the sinner. Anxious to protect the sinner. Love feels the pain of those that it loves and helps carry the burden of those that are hurt. It believes all things, means that it's not suspicious, it's not cynical, it doesn't have a, a negative outlook on everybody. What's their motive? I know they're up to something. I don't trust anybody. That, that's not love. It's not the way God would have us. It believes all things. It always believes the best uh, in a person. And it hopes all things. When love runs out of faith when you have been disappointed and, and let down to where there is not faith to operate any longer then love shifts from faith in that person to hoping for that person every prodigal parent relies upon that hope for their child to turn around and come back every unbelieving marriage partner has hope that God will arrest their heart and turn them towards him and bring them into the kingdom. Every brother or sister that is in sin, there is hope. Love refuses to take failure as final. Love refuses to take failure as final. As long as there is life, love does not lose hope. As long as there is time, 
left on the clock, love does not lose hope. And it endures all things. Love holds fast to what it loves. It stands against overwhelming opposition, refuses to stop bearing or believing or hoping. Love will not stop loving. Love, agape love, never stops loving. After love bears, it believes. And after it believes, it hopes. And after it hopes, it endures. And there is no after for endurance. It just continues to endure. Love never fails. Means that it never stops. It never ends. It never quits. By nature, it is permanent. It is never abolished. But at the same time, it's important to note that never fails doesn't refer to success. Love is not a magic key to be able to unlock every situation and guarantee every endeavor. Love is not a spiritual formula now that when it is applied faithfully, it will automatically have our desire fulfilled and produce human successes. Love doesn't always win in the sense that we understand winning. But love never quits. Love never stops. Jesus himself, pure, perfect love. And we see that he was ridiculed and maligned and rejected and denied and ultimately crucified. But he never stopped loving. They couldn't get him to stop loving. Even when he was being nailed onto the cross, he was still loving them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he is interceding and loving, even while he is being crucified. It never stops. And so, whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. And so and here we see that Paul compares now the permanence of love to the impermanence of prophecies and tongues and knowledge. Each of those gifts eventually will fall and disappear. They will no longer be necessary in my worship of God, but love will continue. Love is eternal. He says, we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. And so this is a reference now to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have these supernatural gifts while we are journeying through our pilgrimage, but there is going to come a day when we come to the end of our earthly pilgrimage. And that is either because the Lord returns for us or we step into his presence. And, and either way, those things that were temporary will then cease. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And so Paul now might be comparing you know, his, his boyhood. As a Jew, you were a boy until your bar mitzvah. 
And then when you celebrated your bar mitzvah on that day, you stepped into a man's role within the community. So you went boy and then instantly to man. They didn't have young adults or teenagers. You were a child and then you were a man. Paul is now kind of likening our spiritual journey to that stepping across from going from this child spiritually into full-blown maturity spiritually. When we step into the presence of the Lord, those things uh, which now have been partial in our lives are going to suddenly come to completion. They're going to suddenly move to maturity. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. And now I know in part, but then I shall know just as, as I also am known. And so to see in a mirror that's dark and murky with poor light. And, and this is the way that we see into the spiritual realm that is behind. But once we step through, then it will all be clear. And now abide, faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And so now Paul pulls back to our earthly life, abiding. To abide is to dwell in, to wrap yourself around. And so to abide in faith. And so without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we must be men and women of faith. We put our faith in the word of God. We put our faith in the promises of God. We put our faith in the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ. We're to abide. We're to dwell. We're to live in faith. We're to abide in hope. The hope that we have in our hearts. The hope of heaven. The hope of the heavenly kingdom. The hope of eternal life with our Lord. That Abide in that hope. And abide in love. The agape love, God's perfect, selfless, sacrificial love. Abide in these three. But love is the greatest of these because it is eternal. God doesn't have faith. Faith is the evidence or the substance of things unseen. God doesn't need faith and God doesn't need hope. But God is love. And so love is the greatest of these. As we close our study, I wanted to draw our attention back to verse 8 for just a moment to where it says that love never fails. Love never ceases. And, and so it is that sacrificial love, God's agape love towards us. As we look at this chapter here, I don't want you to get discouraged by it. I don't want the enemy to use it to condemn you. I want you to know what this chapter is not. This is not a self-help chapter on Christianity. This is not a, a description of what love looks like. And now that you know what it looks like, I want you to focus every day on becoming more loving like this as, as we have now seen. You see, the transformation in your life is a work of the Holy Spirit not your own work. You don't now suddenly reform yourself to, to suddenly be long-suffering and gentle and, and kind. That's not about self-discipline and focus and just make a plan, plan your work and work your plan and let's go and be a good Christian and start loving the way that you're, that you're supposed to. And that's, not what, that's not what the Word of God is doing here. 
You see what the Word of God is doing? Every, every artist has an object, and, and so they will look at that object, and then they will paint it or sculpt it, or they will draw it, and this is the object that now they are bringing in shape to through their craft. Well, the Holy Spirit that is indwelling inside of you is doing this work of making you into the, the image and likeness uh, here of this portrait. You see, this portrait's a portrait of God. God is love. And so to know God is to be able to understand his heart and his perspective, the way in which he operates. And he is a loving, gracious God. He is slow to anger, merciful and compassionate. His agape love pours forth from him into your life and into my life. This never-ending, never-failing, consistent love that will not stop, that is not fickle, that doesn't begin and stop and begin and, and stop. This is the nature, this is the character of, of God, our Heavenly Father. But we see that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. And so we see that Jesus Christ is love incarnate. God is love. Jesus is God. Jesus is love incarnate. And so God didn't just tell us his attributes and describe this agape love. He sent his son for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so we see that Christ is this model, is this picture. And so what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life, the Holy Spirit is the one, as you read through these characteristics and these attributes, this is the, the portrait of the perfect life. This is Jesus who absolutely fulfilled every single aspect of love in every moment, every breath that he drew, he was sinless and he was perfectly connected to the Father and then he perfectly loved others. And so the portrait of Christ is now the Holy Spirit is looking at you and the Holy Spirit is now working on you to continue to fashion and form you into the image and likeness of Christ. And so when we read 1 Corinthians 13, it's the roadmap to where God is seeking to bring you. And so the question would be, what part of your life is the Holy Spirit sculpting on uh, right now? We want to align ourselves. We want to yield ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. So we are either resisting or yielding the work of the Holy Spirit. And what is the work of the Holy Spirit? It's molding you into a more loving person so that you look more and more like Jesus Christ. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so as we begin to recognize that gentleness is important, gentleness is important. That's an attribute of, of love. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm trying to work on that area of your life to be more gentle, to be more gentle. That's that work of the Holy Spirit in your life. When you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you look at love. And you see that you can put Jesus everywhere where the word love is, and, and it reads perfectly. We see that it goes on to say, love suffers long as in kind, 
And, and you can say Jesus suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not parade himself. Jesus is not puffed up. Jesus does not behave rudely. Jesus does not seek his own. Jesus is not provoked. Jesus thinks no evil. Jesus does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. And when you put Jesus there everywhere where agape love is, it fits absolutely perfect. Now let's put your name there and see how that reads. Love suffers long and is kind. John suffers long and is kind. Let's stop right there. <laughs> and why are you laughing at me? How good did you do? <laughs> you see, we, that's the image that, that the Holy Spirit is, is working on. The Bible says this. Jesus said this. He says, they're going to know, listen, that you're my disciples by the love that you have one for another. The operation of the Holy Spirit in your life, changing you and molding you in, is going to be a byproduct of your connection to the Father. Your connection, worship, word, reading of the word, spending time in his presence. And as you do that, that agape love flows into your heart and into your life. And then the Holy Spirit takes that agape love and he pushes it out of you onto others. And so in order to do that, Jesus said that you have to pick up your cross, crucify your flesh and follow after me. And you see, Jesus was perfectly connected to the Father and then perfectly loved others. And now he has invited us to follow after him that we might experience the fruit. Listen, your life is going to be so rich when you are loving the people around you, when you are nurturing them and giving them every good gift, when they are well-watered and well-nurtured and well-loved, and, and your life is going to be rich. The Bible promises what you sow you're going to reap in abundance. When you are sowing love into your family, into the people that are around you, you are going to reap that love richly. The thickness of the relationships in your life is the blessing that you will cultivate as the Holy Spirit does that work of molding and shaping you into the image of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are the one that's molding each and every one of us. You are the potter. We are the clay. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your willingness, for your patience and your goodness towards us. And we ask now that you would help us to be yielded to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.